Listener-supported St. Gabriel Catholic Radio AM820 brings you Answering the Call, offering a glimpse into the spiritual journeys of local priests, deacons, and religious. And now, Answering the Call with Elizabeth Ficacelli. Hi, and thanks for joining us on Answering the Call here on St. Gabriel Catholic Radio AM820 and streaming live on stgabrielradio.com. I'm your host, Elizabeth Ficacelli. And my guest today is a priest who takes his vows of obedience very seriously. He does not ask for assignments, but uh, trusts that the Holy Spirit will place him where he's needed most. He's Father Michael Lump. He is the vicar for priests for the Diocese of Columbus, and recently he was appointed rector of St. Joseph's Cathedral downtown. And he's been on my radar to have on this program for quite a long time, so I'm finally glad we were able to work out the schedules. And uh, welcome and thanks for joining us on Answering the Call today, Father. Thank you. It's good to be here. So you grew up a local uh, Catholic boy right here in Columbus area. Born and raised in Columbus, baptized at Corpus Christi Parish in the south end of Columbus. And back in 19, I guess, 65 or 1966, we moved out to then the country of Christ the King Parish. Picture that as being in the country back then. <laughs> that is hard to imagine. Being we a... were just south of uh, Bishop Hartley High School, and my parents had built their first new home. And we thought it was great that we were out in the country because across the street from us were cows. Wow. And farm fields and whatnot. So that has all changed over the years. Yeah, quite a bit, I'd say. I haven't seen any cows on Livingston Avenue in a while. Thank but... God. <laughs> <laughs> but no, grew up in Christ the King Parish for a great school and then went to a St. Charles Preparatory School, graduated from there in 1978. So going back to the family you were raised in, um, it was a practicing Catholic family then, Mass on Sundays. and. Uh, did you have any devotions at home or anything uh, that you did together as a family? We always prayed together, but the greatest, I guess, childhood memory of that was the old children's Bible. And I think they still have those. I don't know if it's the same edition that we had when we were growing up. But I can remember uh, my mom and dad gathering uh, my sister and brother and I around and reading different uh, verses of the children's Bible and uh, teaching us about different aspects of growing up and who Jesus was and is and how we are to imitate him. So those are my great memories growing up, or the children's Bible, learning about Scripture. And you would uh, attend uh, Christ the King uh, School back in those days, you and about, what, 900 other kids or so? Big big school back then. Back and... then, Christ the King was the largest parish in the diocese. Wow. And uh, again, we had 900 kids in that school. In fact, it was so large at one point that uh, Bishop Hartley was not fully occupied from a classroom standpoint. So the Christ the King buildings were occupying grades 1 through 7, and 8th grade was at Bishop Hartley High School. So that tapered off over the years. But it was a a teeming school and a teeming parish, lots of masses, lots of good Catholic families. I've got a lot of great memories about Christ the King. And you did the whole altar server thing? and Yes, I did. I think starting in 5th grade. In fact... um, I was get a kick out of that. Jack Beckman, uh, his wife Ruth runs Join, but whenever I see Jack, um, we always laugh about that because he taught me how to be an altar server, and then he has served mass for me several times when I was pastor <laughs> Christ the King, and uh, a couple of times where I was helping out the cathedral, Jack was also serving at that time. So we always got a kick out of the fact that he taught me, and here he is serving for me as a priest. So. <laughs> And was it during those years back at Christ the King that you began thinking about the priesthood, or would that come later? It would come later a little bit in high school and fleeting, and then in college, I went to John Carroll University up in Cleveland in the suburb of University Heights, 
and that is a uh, college university run by the Jesuits, the Society of Jesus. And I can remember going on a couple of seek and find weekends, I think what they called them. They were vocation retreat weekends with the Jesuits and thinking about it then. But again, it was sort of a in the back of the mind sort of thing because I was also looking at uh, my career and what I was going to be doing with the future and it was balance in there, but I was focused on school and studies and all those activities, but it really didn't pick up until years later. And you had this Catholic track going. You you went from Christ the King, um, your high school uh, was St. Charles, and John Carroll's a Jesuit college. So mm-hmm. it was always this Catholic environment. So it seems like there was always that Catholic connection. You didn't seem to have any uh, crisis of the faith like so many young people in oh, high school contrary. and college. Or, oh, contrary. no, you did. Well, it wasn't a crisis of faith, but I always uh, point out, in fact, I've preached about this. When I was at John Carroll, um, great school academically, but at that time, we're talking of the uh, late 1970s, early 1980s, it was not a stellar period uh, from a religious standpoint at John Carroll. And we used to go across the street. They had a late Sunday mass at Church of the Yezu. And uh, we'd be in the pews, and the Jesuit priest, whoever might that be, would uh, call us up into the sanctuary space and have us lay around on the floor and all this other. It was very irreverent uh, liturgy uh, looking back. So a lot of us just stopped going to Mass. You know, we didn't have cars or other transportation. The Masses on campus were just about as uh, irreverent. So um, there were several years where I just was not going to church. And I didn't fall away from the faith, but I was not uh, going to Mass on Sundays. It's when I was down in Columbus visiting parents and family that I'd attend Mass. But I preached about that because after I graduated from uh, John Carroll, I had everything going for me. I had a wonderful job, wonderful girlfriend, uh, new car, uh, great apartment, wonderful roommate at the time. And um, I was missing something. And I could never figure out what that was. And then it kind of popped into my head. It's God. Where's Jesus in my life? So I went to St. Anne's Church in uh, Cleveland Heights on Coventry Road. And I went to the uh, pastor and made an appointment to see him and told him my story. And he started to laugh. And I said, what's funny? He says, you're not the only John Carroll graduate who's come in here with this story. (laughs) So we had a, a nice little conversation about that. But see, that's the the beginning, and that's why I preach about it. Uh, There are many lapsed Catholics in one form or another for various reasons. And to come back to the church, all one needs to do is have their confession heard. And that's when I realized, okay, so we had a good confession, and that's when I started going to Mass on a regular basis back at St. Anne's in Cleveland Heights and began practicing my faith again on a regular basis. And that's when everything started to come together in a more whole fashion, because I had chosen to take Jesus out of my life per se from going to a Mass standpoint, and it's important to go to Mass so we get nourished by the Word and by the sacrament, by the Eucharist, and I was glad to be back in that practice of the faith in that regard because it had been missing for a number of years. Well, what was your uh, career aspirations back then? Where, where were you headed career-wise in these times of your life? Well, when I graduated from John Carroll, I began a 16-year career with uh, then the Cleveland Electric Illuminating Company, or CEI for short, and uh, doing public affairs for a number of years, and that included annual report writing, 
speech writing, pamphlet writing, and then later on uh, media relations, and then doing a lot of work in our nuclear power plants uh, with regard to the issues uh, that nuclear power plants had at that time, especially the the new uh, perinuclear plant that we were building and operating east of Cleveland. And I was also out in Ashtabula Lake in Geauga counties. We used to call that our eastern district because those had their own particular issues from a local perspective. So I was out in the field quite a bit. I lived in Cleveland. I lived in Cleveland Heights, but I would commute um, against the traffic. So I was always hanging out to uh, Lake County where the Perry Nuclear Plant was located or to Ashtabula or to Geauga, wherever I needed to go for the morning. And uh, did that for a number of years until I got called to corporate. And then I was made uh, supervisor of public affairs for CEI and then supervisor of media relations for our newly formed Centurior Energy Corporation after we merged with Toledo Edison. And then after uh, a few years in that position, I was asked to come down to Columbus. We were gearing up at that time for the electricity deregulation uh, legislation issue. And so we were opening up a new office here in Columbus uh, for lobbying. So I was doing government affairs for a number of years down in here in Columbus. When I was living in Cleveland, um, I was discerning the priesthood. In fact, I discerned with the Diocese of Cleveland for about, oh, three or four months and realized that wasn't uh, a good fit. And soon thereafter is when I was asked to come down here to Columbus uh, to gear up for the lobbying efforts. And that's when the call to priesthood was very strong, uh, probably because I was back in my home diocese. I was in hometown. And that's when I met with Father Sill, Father Ted Sill, who's now pastor of St. Matthew's in Gahanna, uh, which oddly enough was my first assignment as a priest. But Father Sill was vocation director at the time. And so he and I sat down and discussed these things for a good period of time. And I had also gotten reacquainted with a couple of high school teachers that I had at St. Charles, uh, both of them deceased, God love them, uh, Monsignor Gallon and Monsignor Bennett. But I was discussing this with them as well, this call to priesthood. And uh, it was Monsignor Gallon who, after discussions, they'd been on and off, on and off. Uh, I want to do it, but I don't. I want to do it, but I don't. <laughs> it was the constant tug. But um, part of it was I used to look at someone like Monsignor Gallon and see this very holy priest. And uh, I know you haven't met Monsignor Gallon in your lifetime, but he was very dedicated to being a, a good, solid, holy priest. And I'd look at myself and say, there's no comparison. Mm-hmm. you know. And he used to point out to me, take a look at that ragtag group of men called the Apostles who like to work hard and play hard, sinners all. And Jesus said, follow me, and they did. And so that helped in some of my discernment. And it was after a um, live-in weekend that Father Sill had suggested, a live-in weekend at the Josephinum, uh, in the fall of 1997. He said, this is going on. I think you ought to take a look at it, because I believe you have a call to the priesthood, but why don't you go to the Josephinum for this weekend? So I did, and came to find that my call, which I thought was only me and very unique to me, uh, was not unique to me, because I was there with other delayed vocations. I was 37 at that time. Mm -hmm. Um, 
And so there were other men up there who were professionals. I remember there was a dentist, there was a doctor, there was a lawyer, there was a high school principal. There were other men established in their professions, same thing, answering God's call and trying to figure all this out and praying about it and discerning it. And uh, that's also when I met, uh, God rest his soul, Father Dick Tomasic, who was a director of spiritual formation at the Josephinum at the time. And we had a nice conversation. And uh, I remember meeting then Monsignor Olmsted, now Bishop Olmsted of mm-hmm. Phoenix. Yeah. He was um, rector of the Josephinum. And uh, good conversations, one-on-one conversations about this. And that's when it clicked that this is it. Help us to understand what were these priests, the, the rector, um, the vocations director, these former you know teachers of yours, what what were they all looking for in you as a good candidate for the priesthood? Because you've been out now on the other side of the desk with that. You've mm-hmm. had you know young men come to you and you're looking at them. So, you know, what are they looking for? You know, to see is there a calling here? Well, you're looking for this thing called the calling, which is very hard to verbalize. Um, but it's one of those things where you want to make sure that they're not looking at priesthood as a job and a paycheck because it's not a job and a paycheck. It's a vocation. Mm -hmm. And I think a lot of people look at the priesthood as a job. If you train me to do this, if you train me to do that, I too can be a priest. It's more than that. It's a vocation. It's a life. It's not just something we do from 8 o'clock in the morning until 5 o'clock in the afternoon, then call it quits. It's 24-7, 365 in all aspects of life. It's a lifestyle. And it's one where we're dedicating ourselves to Jesus and his church, to God and his church, and to the people of God. And we are truly in service to God and his church in all aspects. And that alone, you can tell when you're in discussion with initially, um, oh, you mean I don't get weekends off? No, you don't get weekends off. <laughs> um, in fact, that's usually a pretty busy time. Um, but you can you can start telling by some of the questions, and some of these are very innocent questions, you know. Uh, and that's why we sit down with um, prospective candidates for priesthood or people discerning vocation. What are you looking to do? As a priest, what's your idea of priesthood? And you want to make sure that they're talking about service to God and recognizing that you're not giving up anything. You're moving towards something. Uh, That's always a question. I was asked that when I was discerning priesthood. And when I told my parents, I was telling friends that I was going to seminary, that was the first reaction. Well, look at what you're giving up, Mm -hmm. your job, your paycheck, all that you've worked for. And it's like, I'm not giving up a thing. I'm moving towards something. Am I leaving behind that job and that paycheck? Yes, but it's not something that I'm giving up. I've really chosen to do that because I'm moving towards something. So you want to look at this whole aspect of a relationship with God and mirroring Jesus Christ and sharing the good news and the gospel, but it also means living the gospel. That's always the issue. Can you live the gospel and then spread the gospel? And St. Francis of Assisi is always attributed to this, although some scholars say he never said this, but I believe he did, that uh, preach the gospel, use words if you have to. Right, right. So uh, 
you have to live the priesthood, and you have to be able to live the priesthood. And it is not a ball and chain. It is not sackcloth and ashes. It's not a drag. It's a wonderful lifestyle. It's a lifestyle of simplicity. It's fun. People think, well, what does a priest do for fun? Well, let's see. You know, some of the same things that you do. Uh-huh. You know, uh, we go out for dinner. We might go down to Planks or to TAT or to Tony's or somewhere for dinner. Uh, does the priest have a beer? Yes. Now, I'll have one beer and then I'm ready for bed. Yeah. That's just where I am in life. But, um, no, we, we do the same thing that everyone else does. We're not these odd people that people sometimes think, well, gosh, where did he come from? You know? we're, t- we're talking with Father Michael Lump. He's a vicar of priests and the rector of the cathedral, the Diocese of Columbus, and he's our guest today on Answering the Call and uh, sharing his perspectives on the priesthood. So, Father, um, you, you, everything clicked for you. you. You announced this formally that you're going to enter seminary, and I- I'm sure it was a little bit surprising. You know, here you were 38 years old making this decision. As you said, you had a, a very successful career, you mm-hmm. know, in the eyes of the world, you had it all. Um, how was going from that independent, successful lifestyle to enter a seminary, be a structured environment with you know men that a lot of them were, that were younger than you? And uh, was that a difficult transition? Little pieces of it were difficult. I remember the day I moved into the Josephinum, um, and I was told when I checked in, uh, one of the seminarians who was part of the transition team, you know, helping you unload your stuff. Uh, he saw my room number. He says, oh, you have the largest room in the house. And I thought, wow, what's that? And he says, you got an extra eight inches of width <laughs> in the room. And I thought, wow. And I walked into my room. I thought, okay, <laughs> here's my one-room condo. But, um, you know, again, you're coming from owning a home, a three-bedroom home and, and all this, and all of a sudden I'm back into a one-room dorm, you know. Um, but I knew it was going to be that way. And um, I was ready for that, and I had my books, and I pared down my clothes, and I had just the bare essentials of what I needed. Um, it was sort of interesting getting back into the academic swing. Mm-hmm. Uh, we were going to the classes and whatnot. I remember one of the professors saying that we'll have pop quizzes, and I thought, oh, my gosh, I'm 38, and i got to study for a pop quiz. <laughs> <laughs> so, um, And you probably you know, didn't have a lot of theology or philosophy in, in your undergrad, right? So a lot of this was... No, in our undergrad at John Carroll, we were required to have three religion classes and three philosophy classes, but the philosophy classes had nothing to do with Thomistic philosophy. It was, mm-hmm. you know, about philosophy of life kind of thing. Right, okay. okay. But, um, you know, what was nice was um, the perspectives that you learned because me being an older, and there were several older seminarians there, we had different perspectives on real-life experience and bringing that to the priesthood that the younger guys didn't. And so they would learn from us, and then we were learning from them. Mm-hmm. So we were all seminarians. It didn't matter what age or what diocese we were from. We would sit down, and we would talk about different aspects of priesthood, different aspects of the church, issues facing the church, um, issues facing pastoral ministry. And we would all discuss these things as peers, but we would learn from each other based on our experiences. And that was one of the unique things that we were all having at the Josephinum. That's why I always enjoyed being at the Josephinum for the six years that I was there, because we had a mix of people from around the world, seminarians, and then um, the different dioceses and whatnot, but also the age groups and perspectives. And you were ordained in 2004. Mm -hmm. 
Uh, any special memories of that day, of your ordination day? I understand what bride and grooms are, are going through that day. It's sort of a euphoria. Mm-hmm. Uh, and that's when I understand uh, tears of joy uh, because all six of us had tears of joy at our ordination that day. Mm. So it was, it, was a, it was a wonderful day. That was wonderful. And in the past 10 years, it's already been 10 years. That's probably hard to believe. Um, you've been at different parishes. As you said, you were at uh, St. Matthew the Apostle. Um, you were uh, Then you were pastor at Christ the King, and that was your home parish. So how was that coming back as the pastor now? It was interesting coming home, per se, uh, to be pastor there. I was there for two years, um, and it was fun, you know, being back there. The parish had changed drastically from a demographic standpoint from when I was growing up there. But I was there for two years, and that's when Bishop Campbell then asked me to go to St. Catherine's, about a mile north of Christ the King. They were without a pastor for about a year, and he had asked me to go there as pastor, and I was there for six years. And during which time, there were about six vocations, religious vocations, coming from that parish. So what, what do you attribute that to? Because that's, that's an impressive amount, I think. Well, one of the first things I started when I was at St. Catherine's was a weekly holy hour. And it's still going on, Thursday evenings from 6.30 to 7.30. And I fully attribute the vocations that came out of St. Catherine's to the graces from the Holy Hour. Because we did. We had six. And previous to that, the last vocation was back in the 1960s from St. Catherine's. Wow. That's amazing. And and now in, in recent times, you are the uh, the rector, the, the pastor of the cathedral. And I always forget that the cathedral is a parish. It is. You know, a lot it's of a people don't understand that. Building that important ceremonies take place, but it is a parish. People mm-hmm. belong there. So it's different than some of these suburban parishes that, that you were at. Any of the downtown churches are, are different than the suburban ones from that perspective because you um, get people from all over. And this being the mother church of the diocese, we get people – from all over the diocese, uh, uh, as members, even. They want to belong to the cathedral. That's right. And then the other hat you're wearing is vicar for priests. Now, you've mm-hmm. been that for a couple of years. Uh, what do you do in that capacity? Um, it's a lot of things, but in a nutshell, um, I take care of the needs of the priests from a spiritual perspective. We make sure that we have fall and spring retreats for them. Uh, we just had a convocation this past fall. That's one of the things that Bishop Campbell asked me to um, get started back up because we used to have these every couple of years, but that had lapsed. So we just had one this past fall at Mohegan State Park. So we're going to do those every two years. Um, take care of the needs of retired priests, uh, making sure that uh, their livelihood is, is okay and that where they are uh, living, that they are safe, and if we need to get them into um, – uh, a more careful environment for their own well-being. We'll get them into the, the villas or to Mother McCrory, depending on their needs. Um, it's also just a lot of issues uh, related to pastoral life. Uh, people call me from different parishes with regards to issues at their parish or whatnot. And we try to resolve those things. So it's a catch-all. So it sounds like you're pretty busy with that. And, and you wear other hats as well. You're the chaplain for the city's uh, police and firefighters. And you're the invocation chaplain uh, for the Ohio General Assembly. Mm-hmm. So you are there now as a priest leading the prayer in the place that you used to lobby in in your professional career. Is that is that unusual for well, you? It's that- interesting. I remember the first time I did this, I was walking up the uh, steps to the uh, Ohio Senate and saw the usual lobby where the lobbyists were and uh, saw several that I recognized from those days and we were talking about this and they knew I'd gone to the priesthood and 
here I am giving the invocation uh, before the Ohio Senate. So I do that in the Senate and the House. And I'm also chaplain for a join and been doing that for years. Right. And you have a real heart for the poor. And we really didn't get into that too much. But um, just like Pope Francis and, and, and just tell us real quick what you do with join. It's such an important organization here. Well, join as chaplain, it's not as hands on as you might think. Um, but I'm their chaplain for whatever needs that they have. But I work with the poor in whatever capacity I can. In fact, that's all I ever wanted to do as a priest is work with the poor. And again, I've always gone where the bishop has asked me to go. Um, but if I had my druthers, I'd be working more with the poor. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but it's one of those things where when I was at Christ the King and transitioning to St. Catherine's, we were able to get the Bishop Griffin Center up and starting. And I was happy to be... Uh, part of the crew that got that going, and now that's just thriving on the east side. And uh, lots of volunteers, lots of good-hearted people trying to help the poor in whatever way or shape we can. Now that I'm down at the cathedral, uh, we have a daily sandwich ministry in mornings and afternoons. And um, we've had a greater awareness for that since I've been down there because most people didn't know we did that. And even in this cold weather, this bitter cold mm-hmm. weather that we've been experiencing, uh, we're not set up like a soup kitchen, but we've been giving out hot coffee and those kinds of things. So our uh, financial support for uh, that ministry has in- increased greatly because I've been talking about it. People were very unaware that we're feeding, depending on the weather, up to 150 people a day. Wow. Homeless, poor, needy, whoever they are. And uh, if they stop by and need food, one of the most basic of necessities, you know, we're happy to provide it. Wow. Well, it sounds like you're doing some really good work in these 10 years as a priest. So Father Michael Lump, if you would kindly leave us with your blessing. God, our Father, send your Holy Spirit down upon us to guide us always in the footsteps of your Son, Jesus Christ, so that in following him, may we always do what is pleasing in your eye. We pray this through Christ our Lord. Amen. Amen. Again, Father Michael Lum, thank you so much for joining us today and answering the call and sharing your story, your love for the priesthood, um, how God has called you. And I think you set a great example for us to allow the Holy Spirit to guide us and to be open to where he's going to send us, even if it might not be what we would have chosen for ourselves. I'm Elizabeth Ficicelli, host for Answering the Call. Tune in again on Tuesdays and Sundays at 1230 for uh, another edition of the show. Have a great week, and God bless. Answering the Call is a production of listener-supported St. Gabriel Catholic Radio, AM820. Archives of Answering the Call with Elizabeth Ficicelli are available at stgabrielradio.com.